Hi folks, it's Andy, the analytical preacher. One of the things that Christians learn early in their process of coming to faith in Christ is that they need, that we need God's grace to save us. And the reason is simply because we are just not capable. We're not going to be able to perfectly obey God's moral law all the time, which is what he requires. But the other thing we learn pretty early on as Christians is that obedience to God's law, to his moral standing, is critically important, and it's a critically important part of our growing Christian lives. In fact, we see in one of the last statements the New Testament records Jesus is making, we see how he spoke about a couple of things manifesting themselves in individuals who become Christians, who become disciples or lifelong students of Jesus Christ. We see that in what we call the Great Commission. We find that at the end of the book of Matthew. So Matthew chapter 28, verses 18, 19, and 20 say this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus made those statements after he had been resurrected from the grave on Easter. In saying, make disciples, that word literally that gets translated there, the Greek word that gets translated disciples would literally mean today to us in English, a lifelong student. So he's saying, you can't just convert someone to faith and then that's it. And then they go back and do what they want to do. No, in order to make a convert, in order to make a Christian, you have to make them, they have to become lifelong students. You're to go make lifelong students everywhere, all nations, and you're to make lifelong students in this way, by immersing them in baptism and then teaching them to observe, understand, and obey all that I have commanded. So think about it this way. You're a basketball player and you've realized now that you have a very real opportunity to play professional basketball. So you're going to, you have an opportunity to play in the WNBA or in the NBA. And there's a player, a former player coach. So it's an individual who was in your position. They played in the professional league. They've coached in the professional league. And now they do personal training. And you've decided, I have an opportunity to be a lifelong professional basketball player. And there's this individual, this trainer I can work with. Once you say, I want to work with that trainer, then you make yourself wide open open to what they have to teach you. You want every bit of coaching that that individual can give you. And that is what the Bible is saying. If we are truly disciples of Jesus, Christ is going, they're going to feel compelled to be immersed in baptism after they believe in me. They're going to want to say, I want to be buried in the watery grave of baptism to show my old life is over. I want to be raised to a new life when I'm immediately pulled up out of that baptistry water. And I feel compelled to do that now that I've accepted Christ as my personal trainer here, if you will. And again, 
again, there's just you're just going to be compelled to learn from and to absorb and learn to do the things that this trainer tells you to do. And so that's what Christ is saying. All authority has been given to me. As you encounter people who are really ready to work out for the WNBA, as you encounter people who are really ready to become converts to Christianity and lifelong students, you got to meet them where they're at, and this is where they're going to be. They're going to want to be immersed to show affiliation with me. They're going to want to be immersed for the gift of the Holy Spirit, and they're going to feel compelled to learn and to observe everything that I've commanded. But how do we live a life of obedience as a Christian when the Holy Spirit from inside of us is giving us that compulsion, when the Holy Spirit inside of us is saying, you need to know Christ better, you need to understand his teachings, you need to be walking in those teachings. Paul writes to the church at Philippi that God gives us through the Holy Spirit both the desire to do what he wants and the ability to do what he wants. So God is absolutely doing his part to move our life of obedience forward. How do we live a life of obedience as a Christian? Well, one thing that we think about is there are lists of rules. There are lists of do's and don'ts in the New Testament, and we need to understand those lists of do's and don'ts, and we need to avoid all the don'ts in there. So you think about the Ten Commandments even in the Old Testament. Don't lie, don't steal, don't fornicate, etc. And that is partly true, and there are lists in the New Testament. I'll read a couple of them here in a second. In Colossians chapter 3, in Galatians chapter 5, in Ephesians chapter 4, in Romans chapter 12, There's essentially these lists of don't do this, but that's not really how we think about our faith. Our faith is a personal relationship with a personal God. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts. It begins, I think, there. So let me read, for example, the list from Colossians 3. Colossians 3, 5 to 9 says this, put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices." Paul writes in Galatians 5, many of us are familiar with the fruit of the Spirit. At the end of Galatians 5, right before the fruit of the Spirit, Paul writes down the works of the flesh. And so we would think, okay, these works of the flesh, again, are a list of don't do these. Galatians 5, 19, 20, 21 says this. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So yeah, we shouldn't be raping people, having sex outside of a one-man, one-woman marriage. We shouldn't be stealing. We shouldn't be lying. We shouldn't be cheating on our taxes. We shouldn't be bragging. We shouldn't be doing all of these other things that can cause us to fall short of God's glory and God's commandments. And we should make our best effort to avoid the things on those lists. But to truly love Christ, to truly be in a relationship with him, to truly obey and observe everything that he's commanded, it's a lot more than just those lists. 
when I ask folks, where or how did Jesus summarize the teachings of the Bible that he knew in his day, which we would call the Old Testament? Jesus usually referred to it as the law and the prophets because they didn't call it the Bible and they didn't call it the Old Testament. Where did Jesus summarize the law and the prophets? And most folks say in the greatest and second greatest commandments that we're to love God with everything we have and we're to love our neighbor as ourself, which is a correct answer, but it's partially incomplete. Jesus also, in the Sermon on the Mount, gave us what is called the golden rule. And the golden rule, he also says, provides a neat summary of what he calls the law and the prophets. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus said this, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This sums up the Bible as it exists in our day, Jesus says. Not to not do bad things to other people, but to also do the helpful things to them that we would wish sometimes that folks would do for us. There are some other moral codes. There are some other legal codes. The most famous is probably the Code of Hammurabi, which have something similar to the negative side of the golden rule. It says things like, don't do to somebody the bad stuff that you wouldn't want done to you. That's the cleanest way to live, they say. Jesus said, no, that's not even enough for me. Correct. Don't do the negative. You don't want somebody cheating with your wife. You don't want somebody stealing money out of your bank account. You don't want somebody doing this. Don't do that to them. But Jesus is saying, do do for others what you would have them do to you. If you could put yourself in that person's place, what kind of encouragement or help or assistance might you want? And if you can honestly say, that's how I would like to be treated if I were in that situation, then that's how you need to decide to treat others. That includes things like in Galatians 6, 2, Paul writes, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So now Paul is saying the good, the golden rule basically summed up the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. Here, you want me to sum up the New Testament? You want me to sum up the quote unquote law of Christ? How about this? Bear one another's burdens. And that's how you fulfill the law of Christ. So obviously, if I sin against you, I'm increasing your burdens, not bearing them. That would be forbidden. But if I'm not helping you bear them, even if I didn't cause them, I'm also failing to fulfill this law of Christ. Really quick footnote that's only marginally related to this podcast. You go three verses down in Galatians 6, 5, and Paul writes, each of us will have to carry our own load. So this isn't saying that you need to do the grocery shopping, do the cleaning do for your neighbor. No, it's not saying that. It's saying we each have to carry our own daily load. But in on occasion, we have burdens to bear, difficult circumstances that are not any fault of our own. And that's when the golden rule kicks in. That's when Christians need to step in and bear the burdens of those in their families, their churches, their communities who are suffering through inordinate difficult times. Again, especially that were brought on through no fault of their own. That's a little more challenging than just don't have sex outside of marriage. Don't get drunk. Don't shoot your neighbor with a gun when you get mad at them. This idea that I need to do to others what I would want done. And I need to actually bear another's burdens 
is a great deal more challenging. And honestly, it gets more challenging still. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. And what we call the letter of 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 and 24. All things are lawful, Paul puts in quotes, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, Paul puts in quotes, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Now, that's a challenge right there. This putting it in quotes, Paul is essentially saying, hey, folks at Corinth, I know you told me this thing that you're challenging us about, Paul, this thing that you're getting on to us about, you didn't say that that was on the list of things that we couldn't do. So it's lawful. Now, why are you getting on to us for doing something that's lawful? Paul's saying, yes, this thing may be lawful, but it's not helpful. It's not really helpful to you, but it's certainly not helpful to the community you're in, to your neighbors, to your fellow church members. It may not be strictly forbidden in the don't do this list, but it's not building people up. So how about this? Don't seek your own good. Give up some of your own rights for the good of your neighbor. The classic sermon example, the classic preacher 101 example of this is drinking around someone who you know is struggling with alcohol instead of saying, the Bible says don't get drunk, but the Bible does not say that I cannot have a drink. It's my house. It's my picnic. And if I want to have one cold beer, I should be able to do that. It's not unlawful. It's not unbiblical. If anything, on my property, it's my right. And Paul is saying, please don't be like that. To observe everything that Christ commanded would mean you would say, I know that those two individuals over there, one has been struggling with alcohol. They may have broken the addiction. We're certainly praying they have. The other one is still fighting the addiction. And for me to pop a cold one open in front of them would just be a hideously selfish thing to do. So Paul is saying, it's not just don't get drunk. Yes, never get drunk. That's forbidden. But having a drink of alcohol at my house when I don't get drunk, that's not forbidden. No, that's not forbidden. But don't do it if it's going to break somebody down. Don't do it if it's not ultimately for the good of your neighbor. And let me throw in one more challenging item that I think fits in this similar mold. And Paul even writes the same thing. This is in 1 Corinthians 6. So it's four or five verses before what we just read in 1 Corinthians 10. But Paul throws this same phrase back at these members of the church of Corinth. And I think this is important for us to understand as well. Paul writes 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful for me, in quotes, he says, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, again, he puts in quotes, but I will not be dominated by anything. That's the English Standard Version translation. Let me give you the New International Version translation. The NIV says something very similar. In quotes, I have the right to do anything, you say, in quote, but not everything is beneficial, Paul says. Again, in quotes, I have the right to do anything, in quote, but I will not be mastered by anything, Paul says. Same exact issue. They were saying, but Paul, to do this or to do that or to do that, there's nothing wrong with that. Playing video games, Paul, is not on the list. It's not a sin to play video games. To bet on a football game 
when I only do it once a year, that's not a sin. To look at social media and post some stuff out there about how my kids do in school, whatever, that's not a sin. Why are you challenging us? And Paul is saying, because some of you are being mastered by, dominated by, American phrase, some of you have become addicted to that thing. So quit saying to me, Paul, that's not in the list that you wrote in Galatians 5. Paul, that's not in the list that you wrote in Colossians 3. No, it's not. I understand. But if it harms your neighbor, then it's a sin. Or if it comes to master you, then it's a sin. So what does it mean to live a life of obedience to Christ? It means to avoid the things on those lists. Ephesians 4, Romans 12, Colossians 3, Galatians 5. It means to avoid those things, the drunkenness, the fornication, the murder, the theft, the idolatry, the envy. It means to avoid those things. It means to bear one another's burdens when they're inordinate. And maybe they're inordinate and you're one of the few people in that moment that can help. Then you need to sacrifice a little time and you need to help a neighbor bear a burden You do not need to quote back, Paul says, never, ever fall back on the fact that something is not on that list in Colossians 3. It may not be forbidden, but if it's a bad influence, if it hurts someone else, you are not observing everything Christ commanded. Jesus spent his entire life saying, I want to benefit everyone I can benefit. You're not observing the life of Christ or the commands of Christ if you do something that way. And then of course, Paul's saying, and never ever say this or that is not on the forbidden list. There will be many sins that we commit and many things that will entrap us personally that aren't sins for the vast majority of other people. And again, we often think about drinking or we think about using drugs to get addictions, but it's more, it's video games, it's shopping, it's gambling, it's social media. I could list a thousand. It's validation from an outside source. There's a million other things that might not be sinful in and of themselves that can come to master us. So to live a life of obedience, we have to say, understanding a few rules, understanding the Ten Commandments and avoiding the things in the Ten Commandments, cussing, using God's name in vain, lying. Yes, I am beginning to work through the power of the Spirit to cut all of those things out of my life. But it's more to live a life of obedience to Christ, to learn from and walk in the ways of the Master is to say, I will do to others what I would want done. I will bear others' burdens and I will never rest on my rights if something I do might cause harm to my neighbor. I will not seek my own good, but I will seek the best for my neighbor And I will never quote a list back to someone to say, this is specifically explicitly not on the list. If I know that it's mastering or dominating me rather than me being mastered or dominated by Christ, I'm going to begin to make every effort again through prayerful use, the use of the Bible through the power of the spirit and through the help of those around me to cut those influences that master and dominate me out of my life. That's how I look at trying to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, prayerfully live a life of obedience, to walk in a life of obedience to Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Andy.